So hello and welcome to the Pinch Magic podcast with me, Rebecca Nguyen. But today I'm excited because we start some very, well, I'm very excited about this, um, interviews with the authors of The Modern Craft, Powerful Voices on Witchcraft and Ethics. Very essential reading and conversations to be having right now. And today I'm I'm joined by Brianna Pagado and... Yes, she's a thesa healer, psychic intuitive, student of astrology. So we are going to have deep, meaningful conversations today. In yeah. the anthology, in the book, your title, I suppose, is You Cannot Heal Others Until You Heal Yourself. Why was that your topic of choice to write about? Uh, what a great way to start this podcast. Hi, Rebecca. Super excited. Um, okay. Why did I start with that? Yeah. No, no, please do. Why did I start with that? So when I started my journey with astrology and with healing, I was very, very young. I think a lot of us sometimes have experiences of insights and things that we're just interested in from a very young age, but it took a moment in 2017 of massive burnout for me to reevaluate what I was doing. And I, you know, anyone reaching burnout, getting to that point knows it's happening. I mean, your body starts doing things, you start feeling overwhelmed, there might be things going on in life. And there are a lot of reasons why I got to that point. But after it happens, and when I was in the recovery process, I was introduced to a theta healer called Jennifer Main, who's based in Edinburgh. And I was introduced to her through my work, which is working in the creative industries by a fellow arts administrator and artist. And then I started training with an artist who's trained in shamanic healing practice. And she had been trained in theta healing. So I was introduced to Jennifer by her. And Jennifer's whole thing, she's American, been living in Scotland for a long while now in Edinburgh with her partner, her husband, and has been training theta healers. She introduced me to theta healing. I knew nothing about it. I knew nothing about it before it was introduced to her. I knew about Reiki and a few other practices and modalities, knew nothing about this. And her whole introduction to this process was, um, if you start healing people, and we all know this, we project all the time. We're working through our own feelings and emotions. We see this in in day-to-day life. We see this at the extreme, people being bullies, and maybe at the less extreme, just, you know, people giving us unsolicited advice or energetically, we have a conversation with someone that feels icky. And her whole mantra throughout my training process, and I can just hear her giggling and saying this, so she's such a kind of Um, gregarious and just bright person and human being. It's, you know, if you're feeling blocks when you're healing someone or something isn't working, you've got to look at your own stuff. That's the phrase or the word should use. And so that became a mantra for me while I was training. But whenever I come up against something and just on this journey throughout life, as many of us are, and I hope many more people become, of being self-aware and watching out for what's triggering us or what's going on. And I put trigger in air quotes there. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, it is about, yeah, what what here is being mirrored or reflected back at me in this process? What is triggering me, making me feel uncomfortable and very much needing to literally deal with your own stuff, which in theta healing is energy healing and doing that to yourself and working through your own blockage alongside your client or the person you're working with. And I think, you know, some of those phrases, those toxic phrases out there in the healing community and health and wellness community, you know, that one that a lot of people are really stumped by, which is, you know, you can't love your others or someone can't love you until you love yourself. That whole thing I think has been 
taken literally and taken in a way where people literally think, oh my goodness, I can't meet anyone or put myself out there until I'm fully healed. Like this is some end point or some outcome or some process, you know, not a process. So it's just about, yes, being aware alongside all of the work that you're doing and, you know, just staying live to that moment of, oh, you don't like something or something's bothering you. You're really upset. Why is that happening? (laughs) Oh my gosh. So much stuff there. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Take all. We need to go back to that and that and that and that. And yes, 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 yes. So much of your own story, I recognize in like my beginnings in um, kinesiology and my very first introduction to energy healing was when I was a, you know, like to consider myself a little bit of a crone these days, but when I, when I was much younger, yes. maiden years perhaps. And <laughs> I remember somebody, I was, at, I was at a friend's house and the mum's boyfriend came and they just put their hands by my head and started doing something to me. I hadn't asked for anything. They just started doing this thing and their mum told them off that they shouldn't be like just going into someone's space. And I was, I was a very shy person when I was younger. Yeah. And you see that a lot, don't you? It's like people think they can heal. It's like you can just go and intrude in someone else's energy without asking permission, without boundaries, you know? And I was just like, I don't know what's going on. And, you know, luckily I didn't, didn't really feel anything because I wasn't even in the space. I was having a chat with my friend at the time. And I've seen that, like you say, over the years, that hasn't really changed. And I would like to think, I would like to think that when people learn new skills or they open up those skills as a healer, as an intuitive, as whatever it is that they do, that they're so excited by it that they're like, oh, I could share this with everyone. And in fact, I was I was guilty of this in so much as when I first learned kinesiology, I was like, I can heal the world. But of course, <laughs> I couldn't do it to someone without their permission. Yeah. And then the more I learned, the more I was like, oh, I know nothing. And 25 years later, I'm like, I know nothing. <laughs> you know, I'm very yes. skilled at what I do. But the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. Exactly. So, you know, to all my clients out there, I promise I do know what I'm doing in that <laughs> But, you know, to, to learn everything and the nuances of everything, it's going to take like 15 million lifetimes. Um, but yeah, exactly. there, there, I'd like to think it comes from good faith. I, but was, I would like to I also too. think I also think sometimes people project like you say project onto other people because it means they don't have to look at themselves and I think that's when we step into trouble and it's like yes of course these days it would be like no don't do that energy to me thank you very much I haven't asked for it so always about boundaries but yes definitely looking at our own stuff (laughs) for sure (laughs) and something else I wanted to come back to that you'd mentioned was this idea there's two things actually that we have to be, air, I'm air quoting now, healed. And it's like, I think when we're fully air quotes healed, it's like, we just, my my idea is that we just like vanish <laughs> to the next <laughs> place. You know, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm perfect. I'm fixed. I'm whatever. And it's yeah. like, but you're not broken people. You, you're yes. just not, you are whole. You just need to take off the old overcoats of the, of the shoulds and the expectations and the conditioning to yes. get back to your truth. So you don't have to wait. And I'm, and I know that just before this call, we might have mentioned the word spiritual bypassing. So I think mm. we, we can go down this conversation. But I am so sick to death of what I see as blaming people for not being where they want to be. Yeah. Well, you had a negative mindset. 
well, it's because you're not healed. Ooh. You're calling in the wrong love. It's like, no, can we stop that conversation? I, so. I feel that is, I, I don't feel it's helpful. Again, I kind of get where it's coming from. And I'd like to think it's coming from a, Genu- a genuine place of yes you, we can change so much with our mindset but let's not blame ourselves or each other when we're not living that kind of lifestyle that we want to be living what are your thoughts on that so much you nodding, so right? much so much <laughs> and so much to what you just said so let me try and go in the order that my brain will allow it to come out I think what you said there is so important about conditioning and I also am very aware that my journey into focusing on healing work came from physical imbalances, Mm -hmm. really massive gut health issues, anxiety, all sorts. And I know that unlearning is such a buzz phrase, but it's an important one. And as you said, the more that you go through life, the more that you learn, I'm still probably very much in my late maiden stage in life and very aware that having that learning approach is so important. And it's so interesting you said mindset because that phrase I mean maybe it's a trauma thing but that phrase always makes me kind of tick or itch a bit because we can see and you know this comes into capitalism this comes into a lot of things that are driving the industries around healing that mindsets are used to punish people or used to shame people that phrase and I think it's a very legitimate word and a very important one but when we get into the space of toxic positivity and the health and wellness (laughs) industry that is body shaming or yes putting people on some type of energetic hierarchy because I listen to astrologers and all sorts of things knowing I will be a student of astrology for lifetimes as well that phrase you used was so beautiful because whenever people come to me for birth chart readings and things I'm like I will be learning this for the rest of my Mm. life as a starting point there's so much to astrology there are so many schools of thought there are so many approaches and aspects to focus on I'll be a student for life and I think that learning approach is so important and that's also indicative of that view point but yeah healing is a process there's no arrival and Maria Montessori and I didn't realize she'd said this that healing isn't linear I I think maybe that's been attributed to a lot of people but I love Maria Montessori because I went to Montessori school for three years from the ages of two to five and I always say that that's fundamentally shaped my personality of being very anti-authoritarian and always asking asking questions and being very curious and creative and that being really encouraged. And it's gotten me in a lot of good trouble over the years. <laughs> but I think back to what you said there about, um, yes, just that whole idea that people feel they're broken. And I really empathize, you know, I understand we live in a society or conditioned in a certain way or we're just we're just beautiful complex confused silly little humans you know <laughs> like we're, we're a little ridiculous sometimes in some really beautiful ways and I can understand why we feel that way or we're dealing with repressed things or difficult emotions or not really having the guidance that we need to work through this notion that we're already whole we're already loved mm. we're already all these wonderful things but yeah being on that journey I can completely understand how hearing yes you're already whole when you don't believe that it's easy to feel angry about it or dismissive of it because it's like well I don't feel good or I don't feel whole and very briefly as well I'll just say when you were first talking about what I was saying before about healing your own stuff it reminded me your your experience of um, the, 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 that mother coming to you and kind of you know putting her hands near your head and doing that healing reminds me of my first time really going to a psychic. I think I was 
visiting the States after I was at university in, in Edinburgh, I was visiting the States one Christmas, I'd gone through a horrible breakup and I decided to find a psychic. I didn't tell my mom, not because I don't know. I don't think she would have minded, but I was still very protective of that part of my practice and, and, and um, I guess spiritual journey or, or whatever you'd like to call it. And I went to the psychic and I should have listened to my gut, but I remember walking in, it was one of those psychics that was above like a Chinese shop or something, nothing wrong with that. But, you know, I walked in to the corridor to go up the steps to her room and it was just grungy and dark and the mm. energy was heavy. And there was part of me that was like, oh, this doesn't feel good. But I think because I was so new to it all, I was thinking to myself, Brianna, you're just scared. You know, don't be scared, just go. And her reading was actually accurate okay it was an accurate reading but it was such a dark reading she was like your chakras are closed and you know your chakras are misaligned and there's a darkness over you you know this whole thing she was going and I remember being like oh my gosh and she even I, I can remember all of this verbatim you're smiling on the outside but you're not smiling on the inside and I'm thinking to myself yeah I've just been through a really difficult break <laughs> But also I absorbed a lot of that energy. She gave me also this crystal to use. And it wasn't until years later, I brought it to my Theta Healing Master trainer. I don't know if she likes the word master, but you can call them Theta Healing Masters, like a Reiki master. Yeah. And um, she's really good at reading energy. So I gave her the crystal. <laughs> I remember her sitting there with it, looking at it. And I didn't know what kind of crystal it was. because It was this like bright blue color and it wasn't a crystal I could identify. She's like, oh yeah, Brianna this has been sprayed. It's been dyed. It's a quartz crystal. And she's like, the crystal itself is very confused. It's energy is all over the place and it's not been happy since it's been painted. And she's like, let's just leave it here and clear this energy. I'd had that crystal Rebecca for four years, you know, <laughs> and so or maybe five years. And I just remember thinking, wow, you know, th that discernment we all need being in social media networks in spiritual communities and safe spaces, you know, all of these spaces may or may not be safe, but it's still so key that we need to use our discernment throughout this process. Oh, so much. Just, just you sharing that reminded me of this. Oh, I um, had a tech guy come to my house to upgrade something and he needed to get into my office and I was like, oh, here we go. Cause you know, you can imagine my office is like goddess pictures on the wall. There's, you know, a whole tarot, tarot deck blue tanked to my wall. There's you know <laughs> stuff everywhere. And I was just like, oh, just, just, you know, just wait for the energy to be like, Ooh, what's this? And then he literally looked at me and went, so who's the spiritual one? And I was like, uh, I guess I would be. And he started to tell me about this entity that he had in his house. And he, he told me like how he used to be in the army and, um, how he just had this really bad feeling in this house. And he said, I said, oh, thinking, oh, I don't want to get too deep into this conversation. I said, oh, do you use salt? And he said, oh, yes, I use salt. He said, but he goes, I've almost got a salt mounting in my house. And I said, oh, what do you mean? I said, do you put the salt down and then take it away after like 24, 48 hours? He said, oh, no, I just put the salt down. He said it worked for the first couple of days and then it stopped working. So I put more salt down. And so he just kept putting more and more and more salt down. And it comes back to that, like a little information can sometimes not be helpful. <laughs> and I was oh like, my get rid of all of that salt immediately. <laughs> like, <laughs> go home, vacuum it up. You put it down and then you brush it away. And I, of course, being the good witch that I am, I gave him some herbs to go home with. Um <laughs> <laughs> but it is that isn't it it's like if you're not really taught about the tools that you're using whilst yeah. they are like an air quotes bit of an air quote day-to-day -day, common and you can just buy them in your local shop 
I mean, gosh, you can get salt anywhere, can't you? It's yeah. like when you're not really sure how to use it or how to connect with the crystal or a tool that you're using, it's not always possible. Now, I don't want to like scare people off, but it is no. about having that discernment. It's like if you're going to use tools, if you're going to use any kind of intention or magic, or if you're going to use your healing powers, whatever it may be, it's like you should at least have some grounding in how you're going to do this so that you don't cause yourself harm or disrespect other people. Like you're saying, people offering you healing without you asking permission or whatever it will be. 100%. And it's, I don't know how you feel about this, but when I really started to get into my healing journey, that whole, oh, I don't, we're going to go there with tiny wimey things. So I'm just going to do this and, and, and listeners bear with us for a minute, but just that whole kind of understanding that, you know, time is infinite and it's also unfolding all at the same moment, past, present, future. And when we go through that healing process of healing ourselves, it has that ripple effect or that immediate healing for our ancestry, our family, friends, people connected with us if they're open to it and receptive to it. And I'll never forget 2017 was when I started my intensive training. And then all of a sudden, my grandpa, who I'd never spoken to about any of this work, didn't know he was interested. He had a newish girlfriend. My grandmother had passed away in 2014, but he'd known this woman for maybe 10, 20 years before that. And I won't get into that, but they were together and they still are. And he said to me, Oh, I'm training, you know, I'm learning Reiki. And I was like, my grandpa is doing Reiki. <laughs> like what? And so he started telling me that his girlfriend was into it and they've been to conferences and events and I, my mind was blown but again that healing journey had started with me I'm not saying it started with mm. me I'd started that healing journey and he obviously was interested in it as well but just seeing the ripple effect of that in the family immediate family so quickly and I knew it was true but to experience it I thought that's amazing but back to what you just said there we were talking over email and his girlfriend, or I guess partner now, but we don't really use that term in the same way in the States. His partner started emailing me and she said something about having done it in a distance healing for my uncle. And I kind of sat there. I was like, uh, wait a minute. Did you ask him if you could do this distance healing? And I remember saying to my mom at the time, I was like, I will speak to grandpa. I don't know what his training or practice is, but I'm sorry, there shouldn't be any healing going on without there being consent. Yes, okay, sending someone some energy is different to doing a distance healing for an hour. So I was just really struck by that. And I think you're you're so right about that and how often maybe people are enthusiastic, wanting to help and definitely not trying to put anyone off. But we're just getting into more and better territory around consent, even if it comes into consent and relationships, consent energetically, comes back to energetic and emotional hygiene. And I think that at least in our Western society, in our modern society, we have maybe lost some of our wisdom and knowledge, or I shouldn't say lost, it's there, but maybe in the mainstream, we've been, we're not having these conversations in the way that we should about consent, and we see a reemergence of that. But consent is great everywhere, all the time, in any context, and this is a particularly important one. In every context, <laughs> let's say that, consent <laughs> everywhere, people, good good boundaries. And that energetic hygiene for me is one of the most important things I think that I have ever learned, the gift that I gave myself. And any of my clients know that it's something I just continuously bang on about it. I probably already have like seven episodes on some various form of energetic hygiene. And when I first started my training in kinesiology, they said to me, it's like 20 or something years ago, and they said, oh, you need to go on a, a psychic protection course. And back then I was like, oh, what? Uh -huh, amazing. <laughs> I don't want 
psychic I don't resonate with that word psychic you know yeah judgment 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 oh I'm so open learning all this healing and shut down at the word psychic mm. um <laughs> yes and I went along the woman was amazing and it's so funny because I she was used to she'd be standing at the front of the class and she'd be like shush will you just wait your turn and she would turn and talk to, that wasn't there and now I'm that person that does that, you know, because I remember sitting there going, that's a little bit much, really. But now I'm that person that's like, will you just wait? <laughs> you know, he's like, shush, you're interrupting me. But anyway, Aww. one of the things she was talking about, and she shared the story, and it just always stayed with me. And she was she was um, teaching it from the perspective of healers. But actually, I think in today's world, it's everybody. Yes. And she said, if you've been to work and you've been like clearing all the energy for people, and then you go home, and then you just sit on the couch and just get about your stuff she goes it's akin to a farmer going out into the field working with muck all day coming home still with his boots and his overalls sitting on the couch and just getting muck everywhere and Mm. she goes it's the same thing and so I've always had very (laughs) good energy hygiene and I always clear my energy after every single client I know when my energy feels out of sorts I know when someone's tugging at it I'm very aware of my energy And it's something that I want other people to know, because one of the things it's like when people are like, oh, I'm an empath. I can't, you know, I can't get through the day without feeling all these things. And I'm like, well, for a start, everybody has empathic abilities. Otherwise we'd be a sociopath. So we know we, we learn to read that. Some people obviously have better developed skills, but it is a skill that we can develop. And I often think when I'm working with my clients, I see, I feel, I hear, I smell. Sometimes I even taste, which is not one of my favorite things. Yes. But if I was to step out of my space and go to the shops and be like, oh, your hip's a bit dodgy. Oh, you've got an issue over there. I'd be exhausted. And for me, it's rude because nobody has asked me to diagnose them. Nobody yes. has asked, diagnose is probably the wrong word, but nobody has asked me to look at their energy or tell me what's wrong with them. And actually, I think it's quite intrusive. It and is. So I think it's really important that just because we can do something doesn't mean that we have to. And I know that when sometimes skills get blasted open and it can feel overwhelming, it's even more important to learn to, air quotes again, control them and manage yourself, your energy, so that it's not spidering out into the entire world around us. And you're nodding there, so I think you agree there. But one of my favourite things to ask people, and I don't know whether you've got any advice that might be useful for this, is if someone's feeling overwhelmed by something, I just say to them, ask, is it yours? Because yes. if it's not yours, detach and just let it go. If it is yes. yours, deal with it. 100%. I think going through that process, of again, it comes back to maybe how we were raised or what we had access to, the guides, teachers, people mm. that we had access to, how in tune were they with this? And I believe, like you said, we all have empathy. You know, I also think we all have psychic and intuitive ability. Not Absolutely. everyone's open to yeah. that, but yeah, inherently we all are able to do this. I don't want to use the word capable because I think it is an ability and we all are able to do this and it is about openness to it, um, blockages, and also, as you said, developing the skills. And I, I look back on so many situations when I was a child of picking up on so much energy and so many things going on and being hypersensitive to all of the senses and my clear senses. So I'm sure listeners know this, but, you know, all of those psychic senses which mirror and match our five uh, tactile, you know, sense, uh, smell, touch, all those things kind of in the human world. (laughs) I know I'm sounding, talking about humans. I don't mean aliens, I literally mean human world. (laughs) But, um, and so 
I look back on those moments and I think when I started going to, to therapy and counseling and how to therapist when I was a teenager, because my parents separated and I went through quite a tricky time around that. And thankfully I had access to a great mm. therapist, but even then, because I was constantly irritable and anxious and overwhelmed due to lots of things, finally getting to the, to a point later on of yes, being told to ask myself that and starting to think about that is this mine or is it someone else's? And it can be hard in the moment, but sitting with yourself for a moment and going, yeah, am I feeling icky or tense or stressed or some energy or some some feeling? Is that genuinely my body and my mm-hmm. are those my feelings? Or yes, is it someone else's? And I think that question is so important because the default sometimes, especially when we're tired, might be to just defenses are down or defenses are maybe not the best word, but for lack yeah. of a better word, defenses are down and then everything swoops in. And I think when we haven't worked on that muscle and those boundaries and that discernment are my default, at least, is to just let everything in. And it's taken a lot of time for me to cultivate that practice of not letting everything in or, you know, just being more aware. You know, there's nothing wrong with being hypersensitive. It's a gift. It's a beautiful thing. But you're so right about that. And I love the analogy of the farmer with the muck because it's true. And sometimes (laughs) we're knackered and we do just go to lay down in our bed. But it's like, ah, have we saged or have we cleansed or have we taken a shower and washed it off energetically have we burned something have we you know what have we done to clear that energy and I think it's so important it's fundamental and I think you're right in what you said it's like to ask is it mine you might want to go I don't freaking care Rebecca it just it's just rubbish and it's like (laughs) that's fine you know because the next time you ask it and you'll still maybe be angry about it and the next time you're like but the fourth or fifth time might go oh, actually, I kind of know what she means now. Mm-hmm. So just because something doesn't feel comfortable or you feel cranky about it the first time, because I haven't got the emotional capacity right now to work that out, Rebecca, yeah. it's okay because just gently ask the next time. No one's exactly. asking you to write an assignment. It's just <sighs> that awareness, you know, and it's just like, I don't feel it. Well, great. Brilliant for trying. And then you try again and then you can try again. And then you're like, oh, this is what they're talking about you know, and it's like, oh no, that's not mine. And I know that from so many people that I just say like, just put your hand on your heart, close your eyes and just ask. You close your eyes just to block out the distractions, hand on your heart, just to connect with your body. And it just gives you that moment of pause to go, oh yeah, here I am. Even if it's just a moment, it just changes everything, which actually, oh, I don't know. I was about to say, which kind of brings me into one of the things that we spoke about that you wanted to talk about today was like rest, care and slowing down and the importance of that. But then I just heard, heard Durga go, but don't forget about me. I'm like, we'll get to you later. <laughs> so maybe, maybe, maybe we'll rest and nourish ourselves and then go into the potency energy again. Sounds good. But, <laughs> <laughs> but talk to me about, because I, I heard Molly Rima say the phrase sacred pause once and she got that from Joanna Colbert and that Mm. as soon as I heard that phrase sacred pause my whole body went that's the word Mm. that I've been looking for that describes what I know is important and I often think of it as like if we look at it as a breath it's like we inhale and we pause and then we exhale and it's that pause where we integrate it's that pause where we are nourished that we often forget about (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because in our capitalist society, everything is do, do, do first to the top, biggest, better, grandest, most productive. Thank you, industrial revolution over here. (laughs) It's like, what what can you produce? Unless you're producing, you have no value. Yeah. And so, of course, 
we, me and you, you and I, know that not to be true, but maybe some of our listeners need a reminder. So why is that something that you're so passionate about? So, Rebecca, you are speaking to a recovering perfectionist, a recovering overachiever, (laughs) a human being that was raised in American late-stage capitalism, which I'm sorry, is capitalism that is really on steroids, even in comparison to the UK. And being that's the bit I highlighted in your book was late stage capitalism. I'm like, we have to go there. I just love that phrase. <laughs> I cannot take credit for it, and I don't even know who first you know coined that term, but it's it's a useful one because yes, I mean, maybe we'll get into that, maybe we won't. I do feel like capitalism is on its way out. And I think sometimes when a system or structure is on its way out, it fights, you know, it fights when it feels like its power is dying or shifting. Because I think sometimes the way we think about power is very capitalist it's not a limited resource power is not a limited resource our community knows this when you're practicing and doing things you know power is everywhere it can be shifted transferred um shared and i don't think it's a limited thing so this whole idea that we're running out of things is is a whole other conversation but Mm. late stage capitalism recovering from this and honestly my whole adult life has been a process of unlearning and it was so telling because my uh, personal statement to apply to, to you know UCAS and then to university actually said something like, I want to study outside of the US so that I can have a perspective on, on the US, a different perspective on the US. And I thankfully grew up with a father who was not born in the US. I have brothers and sisters, a brother and a sister, sorry, there aren't, there aren't multiple, two of them. That have I lived feel like all- it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it sometimes. That have lived all over the world. My mom worked in a really international space Mm. and politics and international development. I was really gratefully exposed to a lot of different languages, cultures, ways of life and living. And I'm so, so happy for that that upbringing. I know how privileged I was. But even in that, I grew up in Washington, D.C. I grew up in a very political capitalist. Who are you? What can you do for me? What do you do? Status, Mm. status. We're doing important things, saving the world type of environment. And I realized that my way to cope with trauma and my anxiety and all sorts was hyper-productivity, over-productivity, over-achievement. I was good at things and I like supporting and helping people and I'm very creative and that made me feel good. But that was coming from a real place of not feeling very validated or satisfied in life. And to get back to your question, which I feel like I'm drifting away from and my brain's a bit like, where are we? But to get back to your question, I really think that slowing down and slowness And, you know, I'm not the first activist or witch or person that said this or thought this is a radical act in this society. And it's so difficult actually trying to slow down when our society, the structures and systems around us are forcing us to go at a certain pace. And it actually takes courage, commitment and really raging against the machine in some ways. And I've had no issue kind of being on the fringes of things and doing my own thing. But I think when we're living in a world where we need to provide for ourselves and we have family and friends that are, you know, trying to get by and get on. And I I hope to thrive and have a wonderful life and do great things. The practicalities work (laughs) in the working world. And actually the pressures we have on ourselves, taking that moment to, yes, whether it's a sacred pause or to, breathe or to not to notice how quickly we're talking, which I have to do a lot. It's like, why am I talking really fast? Is it excitement or do I feel pressurized? What's going on? Or is it Glasgow? Or is it Glasgow? (laughs) It it is Glasgow. It totally is Glasgow. There's There's some wild energy here. You know, it's just a bit of what 
does slowing down, going at our own pace, allowing for space, making space mm. for ourselves and our lives, having some enjoyment, some lusciousness, some um, ability to observe our surroundings and nature and, and genuinely enjoy the company of the people we're around and make rituals out of that, make time for ritual is so important, but such a radical thing to do. And we often forget it's not our fault, you know, and, and I'm, I'm not a person that likes to place blame in many places or make lots of value judgments anyway, but we're really kind of acting against a collective force, a collective agreement, a silent agreement around how we're going to be and show up in the world and doing the, not even the opposite of that, because, you know, it's all energy, yin and yang, the masculine and feminine energies, the balance of things and, and not to gender them in that way, but to just talk about the different feeling and pace and speeds of energy. Yes, it's something that we are trying to revisit. And I think actually uh, goddesses, as you were talking about Durga before, and using those archetypes can help us remember that too. Mm. And I do, there is something with that rest, like you say, we the, the society we are brought up in doesn't really value that because we stop being productive. But when we stop, it gives us a moment to reflect. And sometimes, I know I have been very guilty of this myself, it's like, I don't want to stop because then I'll have to admit something's not right. Mm, yeah? yeah. And if I just keep being busy, 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 I don't have time to think about all the things that aren't working right now. It's like, I don't have to take responsibility for it if I'm constantly running forwards, you know, like literally yeah. running away from things. And I'm also very aware that, you know, some people's lives don't allow that much freedom because of yeah. everything that they have to do. So it's not like... And I think this this comes back to one of the things you mentioned in, in your part of the book is that sometimes people think, oh, but I don't have time to, you know, spend a whole afternoon at a retreat. And it's like, but for me, having that moment of sacred pause can literally be you sit in your car just before you turn the ignition on and you take a breath and yeah. then you drive. So it's almost like you let your energy catch up with you and then you move forward. And no matter how busy someone's life is, I don't believe they can't find like three seconds. I mean, obviously they'll have to remember just to take a breath. It's like um, you, you talk about the magical practice can like anything. And it's like sometimes when I have, honestly, I have one child. I love him to pieces. How people have more than one, I have no idea. <laughs> and, you, know, you know, And it's like sometimes a magical practice for me when he was tiny and needed my constant attention was stirring my cup of tea with intention, yes. uh, my nettle tea, having a shower and feeling the stress release with the water. So yes. I wasn't doing something, I wasn't adding something to my life. I was using something that I was already doing and bringing the magic to it. And I think sometimes, again, with the whole witch aesthetic, it's like, yes. oh, to be magical, I, I have to look like this. And you know, don't get me wrong. If you've ever looked at my Instagram, I do like the odd cauldron and cloaks and <laughs> I love crafting brooms and stuff yeah. because I have the time to do that. But yes. I don't waft around in my cloak generally. <laughs> you know, <laughs> generally the shops and but I do, I do love a good symbolic cauldron. But equally, you don't need any of that. And I think it's really important for us to remember to have that moment of rest, to have an altar. And my very first altar was, first of all, on top of a filing cabinet. You know, yeah. now I have fancy altars with all sorts of things. But my first altar was literally on top of a filing cabinet with a crystal. And that was my altar because it was somewhere that I would look at and I would pause for a moment, remember what was important to me and then move on. And so 
again, I think sometimes we think we have to have all the things and spend hours. We, we talked about this actually before the podcast started, <laughs> but it's like we have to wait for the right moon phase and for the stars yes. to align and, 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 and. Yes. When actually sometimes right now is good enough and perfect and more powerful than the stress of waiting for the stars to align. Yes. So what's, what's your experience with all of that? I think what you've said is so important and so beautiful. I'm just sitting here and basking, letting it waft over through the laptop screen, but I can't agree more. And we have to remind ourselves of what magic is and what our ancestors and forebears did. And it was creating ritual and intention through spells, through magic and through community and also, you know, by oneself having an individual practice. And I think what I'd like to say about that and in response to it is when I think about the magical community in Edinburgh and in Scotland, which, you know, I was drawn to Edinburgh for a reason. When I came here in 2010, I had this overwhelming feeling of, it wasn't even deja vu, it was, oh, I've been here before, I've lived here before, mm. this is this is home, I'm returning home, not from this lifetime, but from a previous one. And knowing how magical the city actually is and also coming into contact with other practitioners and members of the community, and also the wonderful editors of the book, Claire and um, Alice. Claire, Claire has done so much work and Alice has been so kind of vocal about this too through her most recent book, but Claire is the person I knew actually first before I was asked to and commissioned to write this chapter. And we really connected on Instagram and I really love social media for this. And so much of the community I've connected to has been through social media. And Claire would do these posts about ethical witchcraft and all sorts and do these reminders that, okay, for the first question was, is having Palo Santo from the Americas, you know, ethical? I mean, sometimes it's okay, but the question is, is that an ethical thing for us to be doing? Should we be importing sage? It's like, she would say, hello, remember witches, remember everyone. Uh, remember what being a garden witch is? Go into your back garden and, um, you know, do some, pick some herbs and do a bit of foraging and dry them out and make your own stick, you know, your smudge stick. And it's just those sorts of things of, yes, that witch, witch aesthetic. I have so much to say about it that I will not say all on this podcast, but it comes back to, um, you know, beauty standards. It comes back to so many things about our culture that are so problematic from a racial standpoint from a patriarchal standpoint, from so many things when it comes to um, disabled bodies, when it comes to fat bodies, when it comes to parents and carers, different religions, all sorts, that there is no right way to do this. Mm -hmm. What you do is sacred to you and sacred to the intentions you're setting and the space you're creating and the rituals you're doing. And I really love that you shared your first altar. I think mine was a couple of seashells and a crystal that was on my bedside table you know that was it yes perfect and a card that I would pull you know one tarot card I would pull for that week or for that evening or whatever else and it's so important for us to remember that there's no wrong way to do this this is your practice and for you and and your family and community and friends and whoever that you're, you're setting this for and for the world obviously collectively but it is so important for us to really push against that because there's no right way to do things but I think like the beauty of social media, the other side of that is how it can distort and amplify these stereotypes or visions of what something should look like. And we know that that's just giving us a mirror and a window and insight into 
all of the things we're kind of working through as a society anyway, <laughs> all of those messages. And mm, I've, I know I've used the word toxic once already. I won't use that word, but all of these messages and distorted things that we're kind of working through collectively. And, and yeah, I, I agree with you. It's so important for us to remember that our practice is what we make it. And it can just be five minutes in the shower. I do that all the time of just letting the stress and energy rinse off of me and watch it go into mm. the drain, uh, the drain and, and that's the clearing for the day. And that's it. That's all I do. Just just hearing that actually reminded me of um, grow. I grew up in a small fishing village and people went to church often. My family, in fact, most people didn't really go to church, but it was that whole idea of like people that went to church on a Sunday with their nice hats on were air quote good or they were mm. better. And yet they were the ones at home, like kicking the dog or being nasty. Yeah. And it's like, just because they could put show on for one hour on a Sunday morning didn't make them, in my view, good people, even though they were, they were good God-fearing Christians. Not that we really have that too much of that over here, I don't think. Not compared with America anyway, from my <laughs> like, chatting to clients. But it is, it, again, it's that same thing, isn't it? It's like, oh, look, they've got all the things. But actually, are they really connected to themselves, to the earth? Are they contributing to their their family, their communities? I'm not saying that, again, that you only have value if you contribute. But it's like when we fill ourselves up with our truth and not the standards that someone else expects of us, we naturally have more to give. It's like you feel more fulfilled or happy or just like that. You can have bad shit happen to you and still feel joyful. And then you, you have that more time and compassion and you know, for other people. And I think that's far more important. And I love what you said about like making your own herb bundles, because in in my witch academy, it's like usually every February for in bulk, we make brooms and Mm. you could go onto Etsy and you can buy some incredible brooms and please do that. Do support the creators. But I feel that the one that you make yourself, and they're usually only little handheld ones, but the ones that you make yourself are more potent because you've connected, you've collected the items yourself, you've created them yourself, you've set the intention, we've made them in community. And to me, you know, my poor, I haven't got one to show you right now, but my poor little broom that looks a little bit, you know, looks a little bit handmade, for me is so much more powerful than one that is beautiful to look at. Exactly. The other one's probably more practical for the sweep the floor, but you know, <laughs> but I do think it's like it is what we bring to it. And I have this thing is that you know we're the magic. We bring the magic. It's not in the tools. It's like they help us to focus the magic. Exactly. And of course, we we tap into a huge lineage when we get a cauldron, or we're going. Oh, I'm going to use red to activate this color and energy. We tap into that whole energetic lineage. But if that doesn't feel right for you, don't do it. Because exactly. using green for passion, because that's what feels passionate to you, is going to be so much more powerful than using red, even though that's air quotes traditionally what people would use. And so I think that's a really important conversation we need to be having, like in the wider community. It's like it has to work for you and it shouldn't look like what it looks like with for somebody else. Because I think the whole part of like claiming the title of which reclaiming our magic is about being true to ourselves and breaking away from the judgments, the expectations, the standards set by other people and just coming back to what's true for us. Now, it might not look as sexy as or as exciting as other people, but that's okay because it's exactly perfect for you. Beautiful, beautifully put, exactly. Yes. So if you're listening, oh, those people that are listening, it's like, be more you. Please, 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 please. And that's part of the fun. 
that's the main part of the fun being you and doing your own thing that's you know thinking about even grimoires and how people might feel like oh I need to buy this one and read this one it's like well your own your own notes your own ideas that is part of your own practice and that is that can't be replicated and it's so special it was interesting actually I was writing something the other day about I was like oh yeah traditionally you stir clockwise to activate something and I was like who the hell am I speaking for? And I'm like, mm. I stir clockwise. So I went back and rechanged it. I was like, I stir clockwise to activate because for me, that's like the energy of the sun. Mm. I said, but please do what works for you. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, it was like, you could tap into that, but maybe on the Southern Hemisphere, they do it differently. Maybe your tradition that you come from does it differently. And it's like, so please just do what it do what works for you. It's like, take what I say as a guide and go, oh, Rebecca, that didn't work for me. Brilliant. I think I get so excited when people are like, Rebecca, I, I kind of did that, but I made it my own. I'm like, yes, because that's what you should do. You know, I'm not here to be a little blimmin' witch dictator. Exactly. You know, I, I want you to take this information, try it. You know, it's good to have a, air quotes, recipe if you haven't done something before. Yeah. But it's like, but what felt good? What didn't? And change those parts. And I think, I mean, obviously we, that's for all of life, <laughs> but yeah. we're talking about like that magic right now. And it's like that, I, I just feel is so important. Um, So talk to me about your experience working with the Durga because wow. those yes. dark goddesses, I freaking love them. I got claimed by mine. Oh, and, yes. Um, and, I, and I also almost take offense at the idea of them being dark and it being seen as a negative whereas yeah. I, I actually love I always say to people if I'm ever ill please don't send me love and light I recognize that people will be doing it again from a generous point of view but please send me the darkness I yeah. want to heal I want to nourish where do we do that when we sleep you know yes. the magic the intuition the power it's all that creation all comes from the darkness so yes. when I use the term dark goddess I actually mean like that kind of potency power which I believe is where that term should have or would have originally come from but mm. of course these days it's like oh dark you know that's bad and I'm like no that's the potency that's the power that's the change and transformation so yes. I got claimed by Keridwin, and I know in the book, the Welsh goddess of uh, transformation, but I know in the book you talk about Carly and the Durga. So would you yes. like to share your, because people are always asking me about, what, what's this with the goddesses? So I know that they'll <laughs> love your story. <laughs> oh, of course. Well, I guess I'll preface it with, I grew up, my best friend from home is Hare Krishna. So I used to go to temple with her on Saturdays and hear the stories of Hindu goddesses and gods and deities. And I was that annoying kid that was not Hare Krishna and did not come from a Hindu or Indian background. And I'm not saying you have to be Indian to practice, but I was asking all those annoying questions. And I remember one day. I think we were learning about the story of Ganesh and Ganesh's head gets chopped off and replaced with an elephant head. And, you know, I was asking all these questions like, well, why did they do that? And who? And and <laughs> I got sent to the corridor, to the hallway. And uh, my best friend's mom, her name's Priya. Her mom was like, Brianna, you know, next time you come, uh, why don't you just come to worship with me and Tarun, her husband, and Priya can just go to Saturday school. <laughs> so I got banished. I got banished. Um, anyway. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Asking too many questions as Montessori school kid. Um, anyway, so... <laughs> 
that was my first introduction to some of the deities and gods and goddesses. And when I was in school, I also took a comparative religion class and really got a chance to kind of explore Hinduism from different um, traditions, sects, wisdom traditions, and kind of get a better kind of broader understanding of Hinduism that wasn't a Hare Krishna version. Mm-hmm. And I was always fascinated by Kali and Durga because of this fierce cutting energy. And I was at a goddess retreat a few, well, a month ago, actually, and there was a Kali goddess deck. And it had, I think, 98 of her incarnations. And I didn't know, I mean, I knew there were a lot, I didn't know there were that many. And I was looking at some of the images, they were fierce. And I was like, okay, Brianna, we're going to have to get to a point where we start to explore this because I will share a little later on. I have a new project coming up focusing on Kali and Durga, which is exciting. Yay. Um, but before I get into that, so the story of Kali. So essentially Kali's other side, but obviously she has many, is Durga, which is this fierce warrior goddess. I mean, you see images of her and there's a temple in India. I mean, there are a few, but my friend lived in this part of India where there's a temple to uh, Kali and Durga and there's there's a festival each year. And I mean, this is a, an image of, you know, a goddess with several arms and like machetes and knives and blood dripping off of them, holding all of these decapitated heads Sorry, anyone, if that's disturbing. But the idea is that she is this goddess of death, rebirth, and transformation. If you're into astrology, it's very Plutonian. It's very much about what needs to be eliminated, let go of, cut off for new birth, growth, and change. And it was around that time that I referenced in 2017, I was going through this real period of burnout. And it was February, I was in an awful relationship. And um, though that human being is thriving and as well now, this was a really abusive relationship that I was in at the time with this guy. And it was my first long-term relationship. And I was having, I remember I'd take a shower at night and there was this voice in my head that was like, you need to leave. This is, you need to, you need to go. This is not good. And I was in that very insecure place, which many people are if they're experiencing abuse where they're like, oh, no, it's just me or it's just in my head, etc. And I remember reading this mind, I think it was called Mindful Journal. No, sorry, Elephant Journal is the site. And they would do all of these posts and blogs about different things in the spiritual community, if you want to call that that, or the healing community. And there was this blog on the invocation of Durga this goddess spirit or this goddess or invoking her spirit. And there were certain days of the year that you could do this. Right. And it was most of them were in January and February because of her, her origin story and what she kind of governs and rules. And I saw, (laughs) I was reading it on one of those days. And I thought to myself, (laughs) you know what? You've been claimed. (laughs) I've I've been claimed. I'm just going to, I'm going to invoke the goddess Kali slash Durga. And I say slash because they're both, different aspects of this Mm. energy that I worked with. And honestly, (laughs) within a week of my life went topsy-turvy. My relationship was over. I was essentially homeless as I was living with that partner. Um, There are all sorts of health issues flaring up that had been chronic that were coming up that I was really struggling with. Financially, I was in all sorts of trouble because I put all of this money into running this festival I'd set up and I was saving you know, money by living in this flat with my, my ex and he owned it. All these things were going on. But honestly, it was like it happened within 24 hours. And I was like, okay, because it literally said, 
if you invoke this goddess, she will cut ties with everything not serving you. <laughs> and it's, you know, and it's and a lot. You didn't quite believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I, must, I must not have. You know, there was a part of me that was like, ah, whatever. You know, I believed it. I was like, surely it'll be oh, fine. Oh, this sounds fun. <laughs> Very oh, my God. oh, my God. It did. And it was so tumultuous. And, you know, coming from a place of pure love, you know, of this mm. very kind of nurturing, this is for your future. This is for your own good. This is necessary. And it's going to feel fierce, but it's a fierce change that's required in this situation for the start of this transformation. And that was my real introduction to Durka. <laughs> welcome, welcome. <laughs> I do. And I, I think sometimes people think like, what is she talking about? But I, I do feel sometimes the, the goddesses, they claim you. <laughs> you yeah, like, yes. Oh, okay. It's like, you don't go, oh, do you know what? I want to want to work with this nice fluffy floaty goddess over here <laughs> they come and get you and they're like right you've got work to do let's go yeah but, but do you think like our our time right now needs that transforming energy rather than someone that's like oh love and light and again no disrespect to that we know where it comes from but it's like I I do get a little bit upset as much as I do <laughs> um when people are like oh, don't think about it. It's not in our reality. And I'm like, mm. we are humans in a 3D body, in our 3D world. Yes, to the other dimensions, but right now this is where we are. Yeah. And in fact, I did a podcast a couple of episodes ago talking about rage and it's like, we can dismiss rage as being something really bad. And we, especially if, you know, as a woman, it's like, oh my God, you're too much. It's it's too emotional. Yeah. It's too this. Yeah. I'm like, but that rage, that that anger sparks that fire to create change. And right now, when we look around the world, it's like one thing we are in desperate need of right now is change. You know, not a, it, I haven't really got the words for this. It's like not that destructive change, yet things need destroying. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like not to be like vicious to other people, but it's like some things need breaking down like particularly like structures and systems when I look at our country <laughs> hello government when I look at America right now hello government and it's like oh my goodness it's like we do need to take that radical responsibility for ourselves and our communities because I don't think we can really rely on no somebody <laughs> else to do it like no. perhaps we have been in generations before us but I think we are very much at a like a a transition time and not from like a a scary point of view but from a very liberating point of view to go oh yeah I don't have to wait for permission I can do this myself and it's like oh I can engage my community in this and it, it just reminded me of something really silly actually well it's not silly actually it's important but like when my sister I grew up in Cornwall my sister still lived down there every time they go to the beach they and which is regularly because they live right next to the beach they always get at least three pieces of litter and put them in the bin as they yeah. go home Good. and it's like oh yeah if we all did that little tiny thing there would be a huge change because you can't rely on the government to come and clear up the beach or even the local council to do that unless it's the summer and for, yeah. for the tourists and it's like what can we <clears throat> yes we have to take responsibility for ourselves without question you know that's the conversation we had at the beginning but there also comes a point when we now have to take responsibility for our communities more so they've become more important and I think especially after the last couple of years it reminds us that actually <coughs> excuse me we're not in silo anymore you know we are 
getting a bigger community, but it's like, if we all just, in fact, this is how I think you end your chapter, isn't it? If we all just take responsibility for our ourselves and our bit of the world, that ripple effect is enormous, isn't it? It's like, that's it where we create that change. It is. Oh, so much there. And what I'll start by saying is emotions, 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 emotions. <laughs> we are human. Superpowers, people. Superpowers. Yeah, they're superpowers. <laughs> and we are human and all of our emotions are valid. I know that that mm. phrase valid is such a millennial phrase. It's such a modern phrase. Of, that's valid. I hear you. That's valid. But genuinely, anger, fear, stress, anxiety, all those icky things. I mean, they feel icky because they are icky, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that they're not crucial, important, necessary, and should be honored. I think that what's happened is we have a lot of things we associate with anger because sometimes we go anger and we go jump straight to violence and that's not anger. Okay. It's like, that is how anger is used or imbued on situations or people act on it. But anger itself is not bad. You know, it's about making back to this binary world we've been living in of good, bad, dark lights, you know, and evil, everything you were saying about darkness, if you were ever sick, you know, you want people to send you the darkness. It, it comes back to, you know, if we really take a step back and look at our world and look at the powers that be and the systems we're in, darkness, and as a, you know, a black woman, woman of color, I think about this a lot, darkness is associated with inferiority because mm-hmm. we've had generations of, you know, people of color that have been subjugated in all sorts. And I think when we think of the color black, it's not just that, but you know, all the associations we put on black or darkness is not being good. And that doesn't come from nowhere, you know, and it comes from a lot of other historical things that have nothing to do with what I've just said, but it's really interesting because it comes back to anger. Anger is healthy. Anger when we have it, And I think it was a therapist that said this to me that I love, you know, when we're feeling angry, that's pointing out where our boundaries are being crossed or being violated. And it's such an important, (laughs) yeah, it's such an important nudge, nod, indicator. It's so important. How we act on it is a whole other conversation, right? And I'm not, I'm not condoning violence, not condoning harm. But we live in a world where I think we cause harm without meaning to, even if our intentions are good and we're learning and we're trying to work through that. And obviously there are examples of people behaving badly or evil things. Maybe, you know, we can call things maybe evil or call things awful, but the emotions themselves are not bad. They're good. They're healthy. And experiencing our full range of emotion is actually part of living a fully human engaged, healthy life, you know, and that's something we need to embrace more. I just think we haven't known what to do with our emotions or we've been told they're bad or not good. So back to Durga and back to goddesses and back to what we were just talking about, having an archetype, a representation, a symbol, literally, I think I was um, on, on BBC radio over the weekend, we were talking about monsters and I looked up the Greek word archetypos, which literally means original sample or original model so Mm -hmm. if we look at that archetype of these goddesses and we're like okay we're externalizing this we're looking at this fierce fierce thing this fierce powerful thing that can help us understand anger and change and transformation we definitely need some fierce action we've got a climate crisis we've got a time limit and also there are these really interesting concepts of time in hinduism which i talk about in the chapter 
which are yugas, which are these ages of time that the earth goes through these cycles. And it's symbolized by this bull on four legs. And they're, each yuga is a certain number of years and there are four of them and they cycle and recycle. And we're in the last yuga, which is the Kali Yuga. And the Kali Yuga is the age of destruction, transformation, transformation, death and rebirth. Mm. It's the shortest time period. It's this period of time where things go, go chaotic Things get polarized, things break down, things get destructive. Society is less, um, coherence the wrong word, but less kind of together or harmonious. But that's because that's the last age before the transformation into the golden age, which is peace, joy, calm, happiness. So I just think this is all part of the spectrum of living, spectrum of life, spectrum of emotions, the microcosm and macrocosm of who we are and how that's reflected in our world and the universe. And there's nothing wrong with it, but I very much agree with you that actually active, fierce, decisive change, radical change, things that are disruptive and transformative. Yes, they're uncomfortable. Discomfort isn't bad. Discomfort Mm. is part of transformation and transitions. And very much our age calls for that. And even according to Hindu um, measurements of time and not all um, people that are part of this wisdom tradition necessarily believe in the yugas. Okay. This is like having a concept of in Christianity, the Holy Trinity. I mean, most of the time people do kind of say there's a Holy Trinity, but literally the idea of um, the body of Christ coming into your body when you take communion. No, that's a Catholic thing. Don't tell me that's not witchcraft. (laughs) Exactly. Just just as an aside. (laughs) I agree. Drinking blood and eating flesh. Mm, Yeah, exactly. And also I was baptized Catholic. So there are lots of things about that. And then we're kind Mm. of raised, raised Episcopalian, but yeah, there's so many things. I was speaking to my best friend about this rituals and practices that were hidden in major religions so that they would survive. And yes, I think that's a great example of witchcraft. Um, But yes, I think Kali Durga really embodies the energy of our time periods and our kind of call to be leaders in this space. But also what the question I think she poses is, what will it take for us to change? And are we ready for what Mm. will be required of us for this radical change to happen, which is going to happen anyway? But are we going to support that process? Yeah. And I love that because I often say it's like, if I have two people in front of me and I say, how are you? And they're like, yeah, everything's fine. And I speak to the other one. They're like, I am furious. I'm like, give me the furious person any day. They are ready to create change. We can work with that energy. That other one's going to take dragging. And <laughs> yeah. it's like, Oof, give, me, give me that fire energy. Give me that potency because we can create change. We can forge something new. We can burn stuff down. We can create with that energy. Like yeah. I say, not, not the violent end of it, but the, we know what we're talking about here but I also think as I was listening to you and you're talking about that that fourth yoga wasn't um yeah. I love that idea well it, it got me thinking about that final stage and I think it's in our society today where we absolutely value maidenhood and youth and we are terrified of death I thought I want yeah there's it's that there's got to be a link between not wanting change wanting everything to be the same getting in that control energy feeling anxious if things are going to happen beyond our control because we no longer just accept death it's like people spend a huge amount of money to extend their life or to live for longer and it's like absolutely you know I I, I've always said I'm gonna live to 120 still being able to touch my toes yeah (laughs) we will see time will tell um but it and I'm not saying like oh I want to die tomorrow but it 
we've become so afraid of death. It's no longer part of our culture. Everything is sanitized. Even like in old and olden times, people would have been connected to death because they would have had to kill their own food and share it with the community, or they would have known that animal was you know, part of was it was living before and now it's a pair of like shoes or a blanket or something. And they were yeah. like intimately connected with the seasons that if they hadn't gathered in autumn, death was a, a reality during winter. Or if they were, here we go for the witch wound, but if they had spoken out or didn't fit in with their community, they would be removed and certain death mm. would be there. Yeah. Now everything is like in its nice little sterilized things in the supermarket. We don't even have to know that it was once an animal or you know, we're not that connected with death. We've lost a lot of the rituals around endings and rebirths. And it just struck me that there's there's got to be a connection between like us not wanting to face death. And one of my one of my favorite openings to a book is by Will Store, The Science of Storytelling. And I'm gonna ruin it right now. But it Go says it. but it says something like, um, we all know how this is gonna end. You're gonna die, everyone you know is gonna die, and yet we pretend that it's that's not the case. And I'm like, <laughs> it's so true, isn't it? It's yeah. like, don't think about it. Don't think about it. We'll control everything in our environment. I'll control everything I put into my body. I'll control all of these things. So I don't have to think about things ending. And just like you said, it's like, as systems fall, they flail before they let go. And yeah. we are most definitely in a, <laughs> in a energy of flailing right now. Yes. And yeah, I don't know. It just got me thinking about like that change energy, that death, like, for me, it's a goddess Caradwin, which, you know, you can't really have an equivalent, but it is the death and transformation. You know, it's death yes. and rebirth. It's that cauldron energy, again, going into the darkness, that delicious darkness. And yeah, and people just wanting things to say that because they've always been done like that. Yes. And they have that fear. Worked, have they? Yeah. That fear, fear of right. the unknown. I think that's so well put. And I just finished reading because my father passed away two summers ago and we were twins in a lot of ways. We were very mm. close, but we were physically, geographically very far from each other. And when my parents separated when I was 11, um, my father, after a year, moved back to his country of origin. And so I haven't been in the same physical country as him since then, to be honest, mm. except for a visit here or there. And I've been through and been focusing so much on grief, loss and mourning. And I find it really exciting. Mm. <laughs> but I think that's a really challenging space to be in for people who are being really open to talk about it. And that's part of my creative and artistic practice. And I just finished last week, A Year of Magical Thinking. And something you said reminded me of that because Joan Didion in that book also refers to this, this notion that we used to be so much closer to death. People didn't die in hospital. That's been, mm. you know, death has been completely... Um, hospitalized and just sterilized as you were saying and actually you would have to prepare the body or there'd be a mourning process and you'd be right next to it you know that it was just part of life and I think in some cultures in the world a lot of people are still closer to death and still more comfortable with death and mourning and rituals and that being a celebration but yes in the UK and the US for a lot of the US I can't speak for indigenous communities native mm. communities though I am a descendant of the Holowosaponi tribe in, in the North Carolina region. And I have a lot to learn about those practices. I'm very aware of what you're saying. I think that's exactly what it is. It's this resistance, this fear, this um, denial of our mortality, which is so silly. I mean, it's, it's literally, it's unavoidable. As you said, we will all <laughs> die. Something is going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know where or when, but mm. we will. And I think you're right about this stark energy and this energy of change and transformation and that radical change and also that fear of we're moving into something 
else. We don't know what, but it could be wonderful. It could be great. And that fear of letting go of what we know, what currently exists into this unknown and unfamiliar, even if it's great and wonderful and better, that's a you know relative word, but okay. It's quite funny because we I wish we had more rituals, practices, teachings, support to really be able to live through these what people you know experience as difficult and air quotes transitions. Mm-hmm. Because if we had more tools for that and more of a collective societal conversation around it, more openness around it, going through that the pandemic, that's a collective grieving process we're all going through that we're not really identifying here or talking about at all. It's like actually that would make things so much easier. Yeah. And I and I think I'll speak for the UK here because I can't mm. I don't know about well, I know religion in America is very, very different than we have over here. You may well have noticed. Um <laughs> we're not zealots over here. We're not like I don't know, it, we have a religion, but no one's, you know, it's not ingrained in every single community or conversation that we have. And I think again, going back to I grew up in a fishing village and in times gone by, if a if a trawler was lost at sea people would gather in the church they would have a ritual to do they would have a prayer to say they'd have rosary to do <laughs> whatever they yeah, do with rosaries yeah. to, to fiddle um they would have sit they would have songs they would have practices they could like candles they would have somewhere to channel that energy and feel supported by an unseen energy now understandably in my point of view, I understand why people have stepped away from that kind of religion and what goes with it, the dogma that goes with it. And like, it's this or that, and that doesn't really fit very well. But what we've lost is that connection to ritual. So when we go through something like a pandemic, we haven't got, not that people could gather in churches, but you couldn't gather on Zoom and go through your rituals, (laughs) drink your blood and eat your body and, you know, say your prayers and do the rosary. It's like we'd lost that sense of ritual. So instead, people are looking for that sense of like control elsewhere to give them a sense of security that we used to get from ritual and community, which then became Christianized over here and so on. And I think, you know, people that did have religion doubled down on it hard. And it was like, there's this or that because it makes them feel safe. Whereas particularly in the UK, it was like everyone's lost at sea, quite literally, because they're like, what do we do? Whereas in the olden days, they would have practices. And I think, so your love of ritual, I think it's something we need to bring back. And that ritual can be lighting a candle for yourself. It can be making a cup of tea in your favourite mug and sitting, listening to your favourite song. That can be ritual if you do it frequently enough and set with intention. And yeah, I think for these times, it's really important that we find that sense of ritual. Again, doesn't have to be glamorous, doesn't have to be cloaked and robed with candles and golden goblets with jewels and you know, <laughs> you know, all of cold, gilted walls. It could be as simple as a cup of tea, step, stepping into the garden, feeling the sun on your face if you just do it routinely. And I think that would help a lot of people navigate these times with a little bit more ease being like that that anchor that stabilizes is like oh my god everything's going wrong but I know how to do this could be having a bath on a Friday evening at the end of the work week or a foot soak or anything really getting your hair done it doesn't it doesn't matter I agree. Yeah. I, I remember vividly my grandmother always on Sundays because I was over at her house and my grandpa's house many weekends, many mm. summers. And, you know, she would always do a foot soak on a Sunday. She was an English teacher 
I'm not just English school teacher. And she would always soak her feet on Sunday and I would watch her fill up the bucket and get her pumice stone and put her bath salts in it. And she would do it at the kitchen table. I was sitting there coloring, whatever I was Mm -hmm. doing, you know, she'd have her newspaper, but that was her Sunday ritual. And I think you're right about this because as we see people questioning institutions, including the church, including a lot of organized religion, which is fair and Mm. okay to do and justified. Um, there is a loss around community and gathering and ritual that I think is what a lot of people are struggling with existentially, but also practically what you're talking about in terms of moving through things in community. And I, I you know, growing up in Washington, DC, there, there are so many parts of the US that are almost like different countries. So my experience of religion, um, you know, I went to an Episcopal school from the ages of nine to 11. And, you know, that was for anyone. You didn't have to be religious to go to that school. And then when I left that school and went to another, my mom was like, oh, you're going to start going to church. And I was like, what? I've done that already. I don't really need to. But we would, you know, have Sunday school. And it was a bunch of kids from around the neighborhoods. But I don't know if all of them believe, to be honest. And Mm. I don't know if I did at that point, to be completely honest. But we just like gathering together. And whether it was doing volunteer work, working with people that experienced homelessness or just literally coming together for an hour once a week and just catching up. That's why we were there. That's why we did it. Just happened to be that this was in a church building and we had, you know, youth, youth leaders that were, you know, we'd read a bit of, of a prayer or something, but I guess getting back to what you said there. And I, I had a very casual open relationship with religion and Episcopalians. I, I think I can say this very relaxed, very open, <laughs> welcoming Christians and the Episcopal church in Scotland and the Scottish Episcopal church is very similar to the American Episcopal church. So they're different uh, organized mm-hmm. dioceses and all sorts. But anyway, I'm getting too much into the politics of the Episcopal church. Point is, is um, I, what I've really noticed and what's been really beautiful is yes, we have this collective interest maybe shift towards the fascination with astrology with crystals Mm. with rituals which I think is a lot of people's call for connection and something to yes control or hold on to or have a sense of community around but I think what's also been nice to witness is the community in Scotland there's such you know Scotland's got such a history around storytelling oral storytelling rituals celebrating different wheels of the year different sorry different parts of the wheel of the year um you know we've we've had Beltane fire festival ceremonies for ages Samhain ceremonies for ages um and that's just a cultural event that people go to maybe not even knowing what it is in Edinburgh the fact that I'm seeing you know so many tarot readers and specialty shops my friend Brooke runs Black Moon Botanica on Candlemaker Row in Edinburgh which leads to the grass market and was in her family for generations her great grandfather I believe was a candle maker and it's a witchy shop and knowing the community around her of tarot readers of palm readers you know my journey very much was through artists and shaman and healers and in Edinburgh and in the wider community in Scotland and I'm just very emboldened and grateful and happy to see that these traditions have continued. They might have shifted and changed over time as, as they mm. do, but they've been preserved. And you go to different parts of the country where 
these rituals are just part of day-to-day life and these stories are just part of day-to-day life and these practices are just part of day-to-day life when you think about traditional music and people playing the pipes and I'm not saying those are necessarily witchy but the fact that these traditions are there and are preserved and celebrated and passed down in families and in communities is so beautiful and I'm really grateful that I've been able to live here at this very special time to kind of see this Mm. resurgence of ritual practices and real celebration of it. And that's why I'm also so excited about the book, The Modern Craft, because these are, you know, contributors from all over the world. And there are many from Scotland, including myself, living in Scotland that have something to contribute to this story that we're telling about what's happening around the craft. And it's just really beautiful to witness. I do. I love that because it's like, such an empowering thing isn't it to go oh we can do it our own way and oh I've got like in my own country we've got our own things that we can gather it's like I still I don't know if you've ever heard of wassailing I still want to go and see wassailing where they like get to gather the cider and the trees and they all sing around trees and stuff and it's like I think again can't talk for any other country but in our in the UK we have such a rich history of like folk magic or yes. like stories sharing and it's just like just bringing that forward and it, it might look very different from like when it was first done, but it's just like keeping that kind of story alive. Cause I sometimes think when we think of the UK, we think of it as like a particular thing, Yeah, but it's the whole of the UK it has just been attacked and attacked and taken over and taken over again and taken over. So we have a really rich variety of people and practices you know we had the romans we've had the saxons we've had Nor- you know we've yeah. had everyone come and take over and it's like because of that it's like why english is such a hard language to learn because it comes from so many different tribes that came over here and took over and d- did their thing and it's really interesting i think when you look at like uh the east coast going across to wales didn't quite get to wales on all of it and then over to ireland it's like very very different and yes. yet such rich histories of it and i think what you said is really important in that a lot of people do things and they don't even realize why they're doing them which yeah. is really lovely it's like a friend of mine she's in Ireland and she said oh um people say oh I don't believe in fairies but they'll put their milk out because it's a traditional <laughs> thing to do and it's like that's for the fairies we know what you're up to you know and it's just like these things are just passed down and so I think we have a rich you know every country has its own rich traditions and I think it doesn't take too much to look into them because I guarantee there's a superstition or there's a saying or there's a festival in your local area you'll be like hang on a minute where did that come from (laughs) why why is it we do that on that day of the year and this is like this is so much magic I think that we can glean and it's not to look back with like rose-tinted glasses and think oh everything was so good back then but it's just to remember that we come from lineage. It's like, exactly. you know, we have all of this, regardless of your own relationship with your like immediate family, whether they were blood family or not. But it's like, we have all of that lineage of overcoming, of love, of creativity, of survival to get us where we are today. And I think our society is set up to remind us that we don't have that power. Yes. Whereas when we can remember, oh, people better have their knees shaking. <laughs> Because we are ready to create change. <laughs> exactly. Oh, it's so beautiful. So you had mentioned your Dega class. Tell us more about that and tell us where people can find more. Because I, I could probably stay and have another five conversations with you about all, all this juiciness. But I know that you have things to do. So oh. tell us about your course and tell us um, where we can find you. 
Of course. So you can find me on Instagram at Brianna Pagado, B-R-I-A-N-A-P-E-G-A-D-O. Links and in the show notes. <laughs> yes. And so I do a course on the on values and helping people mm. unearth, uncover what their values are. It's kind of and values are not about ethics, are not about religious traditions, are not about morality. It's about what guides your life, what's important to you, and uncovering that so that you can live a life that's more easeful, aligned, mm. joyful, happy, uh, all relative, but, you know, good things. And so you can find the Values Compass on Instagram as well, just at Values Compass. And I'm going to be launching some courses, some training to run the Values Compass sessions and one-to-one sessions in the next couple of months. That'll be on the website very soon. And then I will be, I, I can't say too much yet because it hasn't been confirmed, but I'm going to be exploring Zorka and Kali more through writing in the next year. So just keep your eyes peeled around Ooh. that. Um, so I'm really excited. And that's going to be a focus on being a truth teller and whistleblower and how to use the archetype of Durga and Kali to work through the fallout and the challenge of kind of st- sticking kind of up to power and speaking mm-hmm. truth to power and how that's very relevant for our world. But also we don't always have the self-care tools to kind of process that. And I've been in that situation a lot. So that's what's coming up. Yeah, um, wow. I love that. And I, I think one of the things you said there is like to have the, the, the stamina to do it. I think sometimes people can take that first step and then it's taken all of their energy and then they're depleted and they can't see it through. Yeah. And I think, you know, like when you're aligned with your values, I love the idea of the value compass. It's brilliant. Um, when you're, when you're aligned with your values, they can sustain you much longer than like, oh my God, I've got to do all this big thing. I've got to do that whistleblowing. I've got to do this. And it's like, we can do it. It's like, leave that toxic relationship. And then we're yeah. like, oh, I've got no energy left. How do I carry on? And we just go back. We retract exactly. thing. We go back to that energy. And I think the more that we can get in touch with our values, the more that we know who we are, what's important to us, it just gives us that that sustainability, that sustenance, one yeah. of those words, you know, to make that change and keep going. So obviously we'll have to have you back, if not before then, um, yeah. when that when that project is done, whatever it yeah. is. Um, yeah. <laughs> you said writing actually, didn't you? So maybe it's a book. Um, yeah. So is there anything else that you wanted to mention, anywhere else people can find you or any last words that we haven't covered that you're like, oh, but Rebecca, I wanted to mention this. My last words, just thank you so much for having me, Rebecca. And yeah, I hope everyone um, pre-orders or borrows from a library or reads The Modern Crafts because they're some incredible contributors. And it's out on the 14th of June, so in a few weeks. Just a few weeks, pre-orders And I can't wait. I can't wait. So that's all I have to say. And thank you. Thank you for this fabulous, lovely, wonderful conversation. And thank you. And thank you for your contribution to a fabulous book.